it's Loom Group's Andrea Lay, Backview's Melissa Burdick, the wizard of Woodland Hills Shree, and I'm PVSB from Flywheel, a division of Omnicom, and I'm coming to you today from the Catskills. Be playing Heckinger's Tuesdays and Thursdays. Before we get to the CPG Guys episode you've downloaded, it's the week of May 6th, and it's time for the Fresh Four, for curated news stories from the past week. We find them dependably intriguing. We hope you do too. We're brought to you through our partnership with Retail Wit, your one-stop shop for retail industry intelligence news, retailwit.com. It's retail right now. Over to you, Shree. In case you're wondering what this background is, I'm at, I'm at my father-in-law's house all the way in Chennai, India for the next couple of weeks. So what's the message of the week? Kroger Precision Marketing strikes a partnership with none other than Yahoo DSP. So Yahoo DSP advertisers now have access to KPM's audiences for both reach and measurement. Partnership marks KPM's second DSP partnership since last fall and ushers in a new focus on commerce media for Yahoo advertising in particular. Collaborations like this one will define the next phase of growth in retail media as retailers recognize the limitations of monetization on their own digital properties and seek incremental growth by expanding offsite. This is said by Sara Marzano, principal analyst at eMarketer. For advertisers, the delayed but still impending deprecation of third-party cookies, which is now on its way, continues to underpin every decision regarding digital advertising dollars. So solutions that safeguard their investments against that hold increasing appeal. Over to you, Andrea. Hello, Fresh 4 listeners. Walmart adds a new grocery line to its private brand's portfolio. Walmart has announced a new private label grocery brand called Better Goods. The line includes 300 items spanning categories such as frozen, dairy, snacks, beverages, pasta, soups, coffee, and chocolate. With most items priced under $5, Better Goods focuses on three key components, culinary experiences, plant-based, and made without. The retailer said Better Goods marks not only its largest private food brand launch in two decades, but also its fastest grocery brand brought to market. Over to you, Melissa. Thanks, Andrea. Uh, so, Savemark companies roll out in-store retail media networks. It's not enough that we have online. Now we're moving to in-store retail media networks. The Savemark companies plans to roll out in-store connect, an in-store retail media network powered by Quad Graphics Inc. To start, 16 of the grocery company stores will have digital screens, kiosks, end caps, shelf screens, and vertical banners throughout, allowing CPG partners to showcase promotions, product information, and recommendations to shoppers. The program will eventually roll out to all the Savemark companies, approximately 200 stores. This is Savemark's latest retail media effort, coming almost a year after a launch of its own retail media network. Over to you, Peter. Thanks, Melissa. Rite Aid expands Uber Eats' partnership for alcohol delivery in eight states. Nearly 1,000 Rite Aid stores will now offer alcohol delivery via retailers' expanded partnership with Uber Eats. Customers of legal drinking aid can get delivery from select stores in California, Idaho, Michigan, New York, Ohio, Oregon, Virginia, and Washington. Quote, our collaboration and trusted partnership with Uber Eats underscores our commitment to meet the evolving needs of our customers and providing a seamless digital shopping experience complements their busy lives, unquote, said Jeannie Walden, Senior Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer at Rite Aid, the U.S.'s third largest pharmacy retailer. That's it for the Fresh Four. Now on to the CPG Guys episode that you've downloaded. Welcome to another episode of the CPG Guys podcast. Our co-hosts, Sri Rajagopalan, 
Peter V.S. Bond explore how brands and retailers engage with consumers online, in-store, and everywhere in between. And now, here are Sri and Peter. Welcome, folks, to this episode of the CPG Guys podcast. I'm, of course, Sri, the West Coast CPG Guy, but missing today is the East Coast CPG Guy, a.k.a. the man with the golden voice known as Peter V.S. Bond. Tomorrow marks the beginning of Asian Pacific Heritage Month here in the U.S., celebrating Asian heritage and its contributions to American society. I have personally led the PepsiCo Asian Network for over a 10-year period back in my career. This stuff gets personal to me. My daughter, of course, an American Idol finalist back in 2015. Ria Raj is releasing a next single, Outside, with Lunch Money Lewis on May 20th. Check it out on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, of course. Our handle on Insta, TikTok, etc. is at Ria Raj. That's R-H-E-A-R-A-J. And my buddy, Mr. Peter S. Bond, Peter V. S. Bond, my co-host, of course, is also the VP of Partner Strategy and Dev at Fetch Rewards. So let me remind our audience that all of our content may be found by visiting cpgguys.com on a browser. If you aren't already following us on LinkedIn, all you got to do is go to the search box up top left, type CPG Guys. And when you get to our page, simply hit the blue plus button, which also indicates follow. That way you'll get to see all of the content we produce. And of course, there's no charge for our content. It's always been about the education and sharing journey and introduce you all the new service providers, and it'll remain that way. Remember to check out the FMCG Guys podcast hosted by our friends Daniel, Efrain. They take the CPG Guys podcast format across the pond and speak to retail and FMCG luminaries from a European perspective. All you got to do is visit fmcgguys.com. And we're proud to partner with NextUp, also known as the Network of Executive Women in a Past Life, whose mission it is to advance all women in business and to promote the cause of gender equality and career development. Visit nextupisnow.org to learn more about this great group. And in the middle of Wednesday episodes, you can find an Easter egg from us on their upcoming seminars and events. Just as I said a little while ago, we love to introduce you all to new service providers. And today's episode is just one of those. None other than Sigmoid. This is, of course, episode two with Sigmoid. Episode one featured Mayur Rustagi, the co-founder and CTO, and a guest from Mondelez back on March 26, 2022. So if you're scrolling, looking for episode one, it's March 26th. Sigmoid is a preferred data engineering and AI solutions partner to Fortune 1000 companies in the United States. Recently, congratulations to Sigmoid for being recognized in the Deloitte Technology Fast 500 winners list for not one, but second consecutive year in a row. Data continues to be a word that challenges many of us in business as integration, collection, artificial intelligence, and normalization are the anchors. To decompose just this very world of managing data for meaningful reporting, analytics, inside we are joined in partnership today by Taj Piran, VP of Digital E-Commerce and Brand Engagement in Reckit, and our partners, from Rahul Kumar Singh, Chief Analytics Officer and co-founder of Sigmoid, who's also one of the 50 most influential AI leaders in India. And you know I'm going to dig into the show and figure out what that is so you all know how he got to be one of the 50 most influential AI leaders in India. Join me in welcoming to the podcast both Taj and Rahul. Taj and Rahul, welcome, folks. How are you guys doing? Doing well. Thanks for having us today. So thanks, Sri. Uh, it's really great to be here. Uh, Mayur had a great time last uh, uh, in the last conversation, and we are uh, looking forward to a great conversation in this uh, podcast. Thanks again. 
you bet, gentlemen. That's the plan. Uh, every time on the CPG, guys, every conversation is great. So this one's not going to be any different. If it's not, we're going to make sure it is. So no worries. Before we, of course, get to the questions we have for our conversation, Raul, may I ask you first, for the purpose of our audience to know, where they can learn more about Sigmoid and give us a brief introduction to Sigmoid and your role specifically. Sure, Shri. So, uh, so Sigmoid helps enterprises uh, achieve a significantly higher success rate in their investments in data analytics and AI initiatives. Personally, I had data science group in Sigmoid. Uh, first, we work with uh, uh, our customers to define measurable and objective success definitions for complex business goals. Uh, second, we take ownership to achieve those defined goals in a cost-effective and timely fashion. So that is in brief what we do uh, as a company. And uh, you can find more about us at sigmoid.com. That is S-I-G-M-O-I-D.com. I love that in your introduction, Rahul, you actually said you take ownership of results. Very few who come here on the show have ever used that statement. So we're going to jump into what that means. And then Taj, what is your role at Reckit? For sure. I, um, I had the digital and consumer engagement practice for the vitamins business, where I lead the you know, vitamin brands such as Airborne for vitamin C or Nurifa for brain health. I'm responsible for the overall media strategy and driving brand and consumer engagement and e-commerce growth for the business here. Awesome. Thank you for that, gentlemen. We'll include links to both your LinkedIn profile, the Sigmoid website, Rackets corporate side for the digital line in the digital liner notes of this podcast for the sake of our audience. So I'm going to jump right in and get us going here for this episode. And Rahul, I'm going to start with you. And I'd love to know your inspiration. What ended up getting Sigmoid started? What was your part of the inspiration in that? And tell us about the data science practice and how the data science practice is delivering measurable outcomes for CPG customers. Sure. Um, so I founded Sigmoid in 2013 with two of my IIT batchmates, Lokesh and Mayur. Uh, we had a common goal to help companies make faster and smarter business decisions using data and AI. And that was primarily the skill set that uh, all of us had developed uh, over the course of time. So today, uh, uh, what we have achieved, uh, achieved in the last nine years is we help companies in their data analytics journey, building custom data solutions to solve complex business challenges. We have emerged amongst the fastest growing company in North America and are even recognized amongst the best firms for data scientists to work for. So a uh, little bit about my practice, the data science practice in Sigmoid is, uh, I pur purposefully build it to make every engagement that we are part of a success story. Uh, so uh, we give a lot of emphasis on how we are converting our engagements to a success, uh, and not only for us, but also for the uh, customer, and that is the primary important aspect. We achieved that with a very carefully designed problem solving and uh, project delivery framework. And on top of that, uh, we have built a collaborative framework where experts of different skill sets, uh, they can come together, execute really complex AI initiative in a very reliable fashion. Uh, because as uh, all of us know that data initiatives are typically require uh, several different type of experts of different fields. Uh, for CPG enterprises, we help them in three different ways. Uh, first, we define uh, their data strategy and analytics roadmap along with uh, their uh, internal teams. Uh, we modernize data architecture and accelerate cloud and AI adoption. So we help them uh, in uh, getting adoption of new technologies and open source technologies, even the new uh, technologies which are coming through cloud. 
and we also leverage ai ml and these open source technology to achieve success in the business initiatives and business goals like personalization demand forecasting rgm uh, specifically in cpg industry uh, we have developed and implemented successful data driven frameworks for our customers in the past and uh, across all business functions uh, and some examples are uh, marketing sales manufacturing or supply chain thanks for that rahul Taj, I trolled you a little bit on LinkedIn to look at what your career history is, and looks like you've been at Meet Johnson and now Racket. So let's try to understand what a day in your life looks like at Racket, as well as in that day in your life at Racket, all that Rahul just said, right? He talked about accelerating cloud AI adoption, personalization. RGM is a big deal, but we're going to get to RGM later because Rahul, I'm going to ask you more about RGM. But uh, before we get there, how is all that stuff relevant in your day job, and uh, how how are data and insights shaping your marketing strategy? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think it's a great question. And just to start off with, right? I head up the digital and the e-commerce and brand engagement for for Reckit, which basically, if you break it down, combines the elements of consumer journey, campaign planning and activation, audience building, creative strategy, performance marketing, and, you know, facilitating online growth and e-commerce. So essentially to enable that, I lead a team that is skilled in media, digital, e-commerce, creative, and data strategy, right? But so, so our work really day-to-day can be focused in three main pillars. One is when we're planning for new product launches, new campaigns, and that can include audience creation, definition, consumer journey. And then second is like reviewing performance of the brands or campaigns that are in market. So taking decisions to spur growth, reinvest our money, optimize our marketing spend. So that's the first one, right? The second one is really building a brand ecosystem in social or other own channels like a website. So through best-in-class creative or influencer activation, essentially ensuring that a brand story comes to life in the most authentic way. And the third, finally, is building our e-commerce you know, channels, pure play, omni, growth, you know, accelerating digital penetration or adoption. So that's essentially what uh, the remit of me and my team is. And so if you think about all the, these three pillars, what's core of this is data and insights. And that's essentially what drives our, our, our marketing strategies, so such as, Identify new trends that can help launch new products, leveraging data to inform who our consumer is, what channels are they most likely going to engage in, right? And what messaging really resonates with them. And from a performance marketing standpoint, we're looking at metrics across the channel, audience, creative, you know, like media, digital metrics. But even further than that, we look at sales and attribution metrics to, to inform, you know, on a marketing strategy. And we're going to dig deeper into what that really means. We're going to dissect that, right? But just in a simple layman terms, from a data analytics perspective, you know, things like looking at Amazon attribution to find out what channel is converting best within the platform. Or we can take a look at Google search trends, right, to find out when seasonality is play at play for some of our products. Or we can take a look at basket data, you know, of our consumers, our existing consumers, to kind of inform the audience strategy for, you know, the, the, the targeting new consumers, right? So it's, it's essentially everything that we do, in, you know, uses data in one way or the other. But it's really not something we got overnight. It was a transformation journey, you know, shifting to a framework of hyper-targeting, developing the right structure, hiring the right people, the skilled team, and capabilities, and making sure we have the right culture at the heart of it, of testing and collaboration. Oh, there was never a doubt in my mind that stuff can be built overnight, especially in this digital journey, which CPG has largely lagged in that I've experienced in my own day jobs and past career roles. But um, the one thing, Taj, I do want you to connect it back for us you started by saying optimization of marketing spend is one of your three roles, right? Is um, Sigmoid actually helping you or do, do they have a role in data processing or anything in that space? 
Yeah, a big portion of what they help us do, and I think we're going to get deeper, is, is this whole attribution model uh, that helps us understand where our money is being spent, how is it being spent, is it is it driving sales offline, which is essentially the biggest challenge in the industry. You know, I can spend all the digital money I have, and I have all these metrics, but is it truly moving the needle from a sales perspective? That's the question we're going to answer today. So, Taj, um, not too many CPG companies have been good at doing the attribution modeling. Marketing has relied on attribution for way too long, way beyond digital, right? It's my pet peeve for 25 years as a veteran in the industry, but I'll come back to it. Thank you for that. So let me jump over to Rahul, right? Rahul, most CPG companies today recognize that now the digital world, as Todd just alluded to, require a new approach to how you measure marketing spend, right? Attribution is one such way. Tell our audience how your multi-touch attribution accelerator helps to optimize marketing spends and drive revenue. Because here on the CPG guys, we don't like to use acronyms. We like to decompose acronyms. Take 60 seconds also, Rahul, to tell people what a multi-touch attribution model is. So multi-touch attribution uh, primarily tries to uh, look at uh, different marketing channels that uh, a customer uh, touches through their uh, journey with the the brand recognition. And uh, during their journey, which of those channels and touch points are actually contributing more towards your sales and towards your revenue, right? And different business teams might have very different kind of... uh, goals that they are trying to achieve but whatever is your goal you ultimately wants to attribute to uh, your investments uh, at the end of uh, the day right uh, so cpg companies are also looking for reliable ways to map their digital investments to these actual numbers that we talked about and um, it becomes very crucial at a time when we are heading towards a kind of a world where cookie-less and uh, customer privacy uh, laws are becoming very prevalent, like uh, GDPR, uh, CCPA. So all these different kind of uh, policy regulations, uh, uh, they're impacting uh, the ability of marketers and brand managers to actually measure uh, performance of their campaigns. Uh, Another important aspect is, uh, it is a very important area. So in most of our discussion, we see that uh, Spend optimization is a core focus area for CPG. They spend a large amount of investments in this particular area. And uh, to break break it down further, this uh, this particular problem. So ultimately, a business goal is like uh, measuring revenue, viewability, reach, impressions, and so on. There are different goals uh, that uh, your team might be trying to achieve. And uh, all these goals they want to achieve in a most cost-effective manner because investment is... Uh, uh, sort of limited uh, resources that they have. So uh, it ultimately comes down to uh, how many experiments you can run uh, in the in the amount that you have. And uh, you're not losing a significant part of your investments in failed experiments. Because uh, ultimately, nobody, uh, no marketing person knows which idea will actually click in the market. So they have to run experiments, but you need to get a very faster uh, response and feedback on those campaigns. So uh, we need to accurately and quickly predict the success potential of these experiments, right? And this is where our um, multi-touch attribution accelerator comes in. It is a productized service uh, that we have built for CPG marketers along with uh, Rekit's team. And brand managers, uh, they can optimize their digital advertising spends using uh, the insights that this solution develops for them. 
this solution enables in-flight campaign optimization, which was a core ask from a lot of marketers uh, to us, how we can sort of achieve that capability because most of the feedback uh, that they get are post-campaign uh, basis. And uh, so we have built a faster, more accurate dashboard who can actually measure marketing tactics at a very granular level and uh, within one to two weeks of uh, uh, performance, they can actually measure their campaigns. Uh, the, another important aspect is which is about techniques. So uh, typically a lot of companies attempt to build these systems internally with their uh, sort of either their vendors or with their internal teams. But the most common methodologies of machine learning actually fails for CPG uh, industry because uh, a typical way of multi-touch attribution requires customer information and a lot of it. And that is something which is not uh, available to a lot of brands. And from that perspective, you need to build methodologies that can tackle that situation. Now, the common methodologies, regression, Bayesian optimization and all, they uh, fail to uh, give a faster response because they need to collect data for a certain period of time to learn uh, an average behavior uh, from these marketing campaigns. So we delivered uh, an, uh, a new capability to uh, Reckitt and our customers where uh, we uh, tried a new approach or built a new approach based on quasi-experimentation uh, design that can actually overcome these barriers and uh, deliver on speed, cost, and scale at the same time, right? So these are, I think, most important aspects that we added. It, uh, the platform that we built, it is also customizable for different marketers' need, fast uh, and scalable across different geographies. So uh, that is what we are helping um, uh, with this uh, particular exhibit. That's awesome. I know the biggest takeaway for me in everything you said right there, Rahul, is the speed. You talked of within one to two weeks after the end of a campaign, being able to analyze so that the very next campaign you run, they start a three-month data modeling exercise, which is what the industry is normally used to. I want to make sure our audience catches that, that in your um, partnership, the speed to acceleration to be able to deliver faster result. So let's jump to Taj and ask that very question, right? So you gave a brief highlight of how you're kind of um, managing your um, outcomes from your optimization perspective with Sigma. Let's jump into it on a much deeper level this time. And um, that very multi-touch attribution should mean that you can connect their capabilities directly with your e-commerce results, as well as adjusting how you're successful. So Get into the details. Tell us if that's true, how Sigmoid is helping you, and the value you're getting from it. Uh, absolutely. So I think, you know, the first thing that's super important as you talk about, and Raul touched on this, is, you know, ability to get all the data that we have of our campaigns, whether it's paid or known, right? Even from an e-commerce perspective, all in a, in a single platform. And that's what Sigmoid first helped us. You know, how do you normalize all this data, get it in a single place, and then from there, of course, you can get the data, but how you start to develop visual dashboards so the team can actually look at the impact of the campaigns, right? So we have access to real-time dashboards that basically break out channel performance. It breaks out audience performance at a creative level. Uh, it breaks out you know, uh, an audience and you know, it ensures that we can look at appropriate investments and identify which of those aspects are really working for us. And, and, he, and I think Rahul touched on this. He called it quasi-experimental approach, you know, and that's super important for us, right? So what we do is we generate experiments or hypothesis. And we say, what happens if we tweak a certain investment in a certain channel? And let's take a look at the output of that. Not just digital metrics, but let's take a look at what's, what's it doing for, you know, uh, sales. 
Because the model itself not just takes a digital metric, but it also takes both online and offline sales, you know, from our feeds connected to all retailers into the platform. So we can essentially measure at a geo level and a DMA level, how is the impact to our metrics, uh, digital campaigns performing at an output, which is the POS or sales, right? And of course, by applying this machine learning algorithms over time, you can start to see the dips and troughs arises based on investment. And then what you do is you start to experiment and say, is this creative working better? Is this audience working better? Let me invest more in Facebook. Let me invest more on you know, YouTube and see what the impact is of that is in a certain geo. Chicago, New York, within New York, you can break it down further as well. But you touched on a very important aspect of e-commerce. How do you really leverage from an e-commerce perspective? And, and they do. And the, and the idea for this really is, look, a lot of the e-com sales we get, let's say, pure play on you know, Amazon, is really based on search, and that's attributed to paid media. But what happens to the organic sales that is happening in the Amazon? A lot of that is also a, 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 an effect of the out-of-platform media or the brand equity that we have, right? And so what we do is we really take all the non-attributed Amazon sales that's not attributed to media, and that essentially helps us understand how our out-of-platform media is actually impacting the organic POS sales and platform. And that's super important because we can then essentially optimize our overall media investment, not just to generate offline sales, let's say in a Walmart store, but also on Amazon. And the more you can do that, you build your relevancy, you start gaining organic shelves, and of course, your flywheel starts to turn, right? So hopefully that kind of paints a holistic picture. But I just wanted to kind of end by saying, you know, prior to this model, the only way we had access to something like this was post-campaign, right? You essentially do post-campaign research studies or, or you know, attribution. And I, I, I think you're right, this attribution keyword is, is not, you know, fully uh, understood by the industry. And that's post-campaign. really can't do that in in-flight. And that was expensive and, and time-consuming. What the Sigmoid in-house model helps us do is, you know, ensures bi-weekly insights are generated in the most cost-efficient manner because we put the offline sales every two weeks real time into the database so we can start to see the impact of, of our activation. It's good to hear, Taj. I mean, to me, again, the big takeaways of what I hear you say is, you know, Raul kind of earlier alluded to speed to market of results. And what I hear you kind of saying is, that speed to market is a big thing you're kind of leveraging so that the very next time you're doing it, um, you're getting the insights to go into the actual campaign. But the biggest word I think that um, you are kind of alluding to at the end of the day that really kind of gets my brain to think of how great this partnership is and can be is the fact that you said you get organic results go forward. So the work that you're doing with uh, Sigmoid you're fine-tuning and fine-tuning and fine-tuning so that you're not only now dependent just on campaign dollars, some portion of your results is the work this work is alluding to is organic success. Absolutely. Hey, man, if, if let me tell you guys, if Sigmoid is contributing directly to organic results at the end of the day in e-commerce, more power to you guys, man. Well done, Raul. Well done, Sigmoid team. And of course, Taj, so you do, I want to give a little bit of an applause here as a CPG guy that you've been... Uh, you know, savvy enough to create a partnership where you're delivering that for your brands at Reckit. That's pretty cool. Let me uh, remind the audience that we're speaking with Rahul, Chief Analytics Officer, Co-Founder of Sigmoid, and Taj Piran, VP of Digital Commerce and Brand Engagement at Reckit. So Rahul, let's go to the buzzword of the day. Largely artificial intelligence is still a buzzword within the CPG industry. Others have come here, they've decomposed it actually pretty well. I want to challenge you to do the same thing. Decompose what artificial intelligence means from an outcome perspective. Then how is Sigmoid leveraging 
AI. I truly want to get into just AI over here. Taj, feel free to chime in if this is meaningful to you as well. And um, if AI is one of the things you count on and you're actually talking to Sigmar about AI, or do you take it for granted? Raul, let's start with you first. Yeah, so, um, so over the years, what I have seen is AI and machine learning and all these keywords are not well understood. Uh, and in reality, artificial intelligence, uh, even uh, now, is not equivalent to human intelligence in that sense. And when we talk about even general artificial intelligence, a lot of those keywords, it is it is very confusing in a sense because uh, you need to actually have a benchmark to uh, create an AI which is similar to that benchmark that we have already seen. Now, uh, these days when we talk about something like artificial intelligence, we are actually referring to from a marketing and other perspective, deep learning algorithms. And anything which we uh, typically refer, machine learning is like traditional machine learning, which is a word which existed uh, before uh, deep learning was so prevalent. So there are some problems where uh, this AI or deep learning is adding a lot of values and it is driving new initiatives. And there are a lot of problems where machine learning uh, and traditional machine learning itself by building a very, uh, I think, interesting or uh, relevant architectures, they can give you breakthrough performance. So it is about uh, how to utilize these tools. Uh, and uh, I'm calling these tools because ultimately, uh, from a data scientist perspective, it is about using all the technologies as a tool to achieve business goal, right? And that is what we do for our uh, customers. So, um, and what we have also seen specifically for uh, from the uh, industry perspective and CPG companies, so they can actually drive incremental revenue growth uh, by more than eight to 10% uh, through some important initiatives. So demand forecasting seems to be a core problem uh, which uh, gets realized across all type of initiatives that CPG uh, industry is taking, whether it is uh, promotional uh, intelligence, whether it is uh, marketing uh, insights, or uh, even if we talk about uh, uh, supply and stocks and so on and so forth, and sort of distribution planning and uh, and so on. So there are a lot of aspects that demand forecasting covers. So having an accurate and granular model really helps. Uh, another area which uh, is driving a lot of value is hyper-personalized consumer experiences and hyper-personalized um, uh, delivery of uh, different sort. It could be a personalized um, pricing, it could be personalized uh, promotions or experience on a website and so on and so forth, right? And another important aspect that uh, what we uh, understand is uh, give, creating a faster innovation cycles for all these AI initiatives, uh, which is extremely important. Uh, deep learning is driving new applications areas, typically in area where uh, image processing is helping companies identify different uh, ways of uh, data measurement and uh, customer performance measurement. And we have seen companies who are trying to uh, build better uh, retail delivery solutions out of that. So deep learning is also adding a lot of value. But despite uh, the promise of artificial intelligence, uh, many uh, organizations and their efforts are falling short. And there are some specific reasons uh, where needs to uh, focus uh, needs to be improved. And in our conversation, what we find is uh, less than 20% of firms, uh, they are uh, not completely engaged in core AI and advanced analytics uh, and have a widespread adoption of these technologies and these uh, capabilities, right? Uh, so typically what we suggest our customers when they are trying to get into that journey and uh, they are still in the early phase, that you need to focus on uh, the most fundamental capability, which is uh, building a faster innovation cycle, 
Now, uh, there are multiple initiatives that uh, supports this faster innovation cycle uh, capability. I'll talk about two of them. So the first one is building a fully automated, quality-focused, real-time data infrastructure so that your data is available, it is real-time, fast, and it is automated, so you are not uh, uh, having manual intervention uh, a lot of time because that impacts quality significantly. And the second aspect is uh, investing in a strong uh, MLOps capabilities because AI and machine learning is uh, primarily an iterative uh, approach. So you are trying to learn what is working and sort of gathering more data and the uh, algorithm is tuning itself. So as soon as you get a feedback from the market through this real-time data infrastructure that uh, I'm suggesting to build, uh, whenever you sort of create a new model or a new capability, that should uh, get into action very fast. So building that capability is extremely uh, important. So these are few aspects from AI perspective and sort of building the, those capabilities. Now, when we uh, come to the kind of applications uh, where uh, these um, uh, technologies can be used and where we are using it. So one of the example is uh, consumer intelligence. So we have built for our customers AI powered consumer intelligence engine, uh, which not only constantly update, and ingest real-time consumer data in a, a sort of fast manner, but also it uh, measures metadata related to consumers' behavior, decision-making preferences, and uh, sort of their uh, actual decisions and uh, uh, interest. And then uh, we use advanced machine learning techniques and uh, uh, a lot of the different techniques depends on the kind of problem that you are trying to solve uh, to identify the affinity uh, that these uh, uh, which business, high business value actions, these consumer can actually have a better affinity towards so that you can generate recommendations that can not only maximize value for these consumers and customers, but also for, for the business, right? So that is one important aspect. And hyper-personalization is adding a lot into that particular area uh, where we have built capabilities to uh, build cap uh, models and intelligence at a single consumer level. And these capabilities also uh, get self-optimized using reinforcement learning techniques uh, so that you can learn a lot about the consumer and try to see uh, maybe which of your techniques are actually working with the consumer, right? Rather than just uh, building a single hypothesis and uh, making it available uh, to the real world. A demand forecasting I already talk talked about. That is another important area which helps in that. Uh, so uh, I think with this, I would like to pass it over to Taj and know his perspective, how uh, uh, his company and his uh, group is achieving value and extracting value from artificial intelligence. Over to you, Taj. Th thank you, Rahul. That's obviously a very comprehensive answer, right? I mean, your point, while AI is a buzzword, but let's not get caught up in the element of AI. I mean, the basic principle of machine learning and automation can still be a significant driver. And that's, that's the best thing, right? So if you think about it, the best use cases that most marketing teams can really immediately focus on when you talk about machine learning is use what your native platforms come with. For example, Facebook's machine learning media optimization delivery tools, right? You can literally go on, go in there, turn on machine learning, let the you know algorithms optimize what campaigns are going to deliver. That's a very simple use case. Or you can build you know models or leverage models like Sigmoid discussed, like deliver personalization in website, right? Where you can allow you know prediction of the next best action allow you to kind of show in uh, you know, next best product to sell, cross-sell and upsell, right? And then the other common example that most CPG companies are starting to realize and starting to gain traction is 
creative optimization, right? So machine learning can help deliver dynamic creatives or ads based on interaction of different elements in the creative, generating new new creative in real time, actually, with no intervention required. So you put in a creative, you're given a, a few assets, and then machine learning will basically assemble the creative real time based on how the consumers are interacting. And that's pretty amazing. We couldn't have really done that three to four years ago. So the industry is developing, and it's, you know, in fact, time to kind of board the train. This man is going where nobody has dared to go before. So we're going to have even more fun now, Taj, which is machine learning and creative. Typically, everyone talks about machine learning for analytics on the day job, like reporting, insights. Marketing is a piece of it, but a lot of sales stuff as well. But you're talking about creative, which is for the first time we're in this show, we're getting into the paradigm of what humans have done for years and decades. But this today was not about creative, so I won't really give you a hard time on that, Taj, but maybe we should have you back and we should dive into deeper details at some point about that because that is a big deal. If I didn't say so already, it's a big deal. But um, Raul, uh, let's wrap up that segment of adding value with uh, my co-host day job, which is, um, of course, uh, customer lifetime value. That's one of the things Fetch Rewards focuses on as well as personalization. I mean, literally, those are his two favorite topics. So how are you driving value for your clients in CLTV and uh, also in hyper-personalization? Can you just give us a bit about what your offerings are from Sigmoid? Sure, sure. Uh, so as Taj was saying, uh, personalized recommendations that drive better CLTV are important initiatives for every consumer-focused brand to retain and improve their top-line growth, right? Now, uh, CLTV... Uh, one important aspect is uh, it's kind of a, a measurement that we are trying to do. And then we have to use a lot of different approaches and personalized recommendation is one of them to improve that CLTV, right? So uh, so I'll start with uh, touching upon the personalized recommendation and then I'll uh, talk a bit more about CLTV. So, uh, and these use cases go uh, beyond CPG space and uh, we are working with uh, different industries and they are actually uh, applicable pan industry, be it e-commerce, retail, or for uh, even uh, banking and uh, telecom industry, right? Uh, now, companies must overcome two hurdles along the way to build these uh, initiatives, primarily personalized uh, and hyper-personalized uh, initiatives. The first is lack of access to consumer-level data. So unless we have a good amount of consumer-level data at a, a single consumer level, uh, we should not talk about uh, hyper-personalized space. We can talk about personalized to certain uh, level. And the second aspect is uh, the absence of any channel uh, to reach consumer in a personalized manner. So even if we have customer or consumer level insight, uh, can we actually reach them in a manner with an action which is personalized to them so that they can sort of uh, respond better uh, through that uh, interaction, right? So, uh, so this consumer data that I'm talking about, uh, it is important for individualistic intelligence and uh, need to have a personalized channel that gives capability of execution on these uh, uh, consumer level insights. Now, uh, further to that, personalized recommendations can be of two types, right? The first type is uh, that most of the companies use is personalized at a segment level. So we treat consumer as a set of like-minded groups and then we we are actually personalizing for those groups. So uh, in turn, we are personalizing for those consumers, but that is not exactly hyper-personalized. Uh, a second and more sophisticated uh, uh, achievement would be 
to have a hyper personalized uh, situation where we are treating single consumer as a unique individual we are understanding more about them their likeness and dis- uh, and dislikes compared to other uh, individuals and then trying to figure out what are their unique uh, behavior decision making aspects right what is the unique mix that an individual is built out of and uh, we have done this work with uh, multiple fortune 500 companies catering to both of these uh, different kind of personalized uh, approaches depending on their level of maturity and available availability of either the data or the channels that they are targeting and maybe what they are trying to uh, what they have from a data infrastructure and capability perspective at this point what they want to invest in so let me uh, share a couple of examples so we build a hyper personalized uh, uh, offer building uh, platform for one of the top uh, cosmetics company uh, in uh, latin america and uh, these models that we built they were not only creating offers at a personalized level but they were also identifying uh, out of a large group of offers which offers is has the most affinity for the consumer uh, to buy and in terms optimizing on the profitability as well as uh, the basket size for the company so uh, the earlier approach is typically it is very i think uh, easy approach to uh, focus on uh, reducing prices and getting a better performance but then what we actually learned out of this experiment was you can actually achieve both at the same time you can get better profitability as well as a better revenue if you are personalized and hyper personalized to the consumer a second example where uh, we build personalized emails so similar to what um, taj was talking about a few minutes back that what we build is personalized emails so personalized content where we were looking at what kind of uh, messaging works uh, with these customer what kind of uh, format of these emails are working best uh, what kind of offer pricing and aspects uh, that we can um, change in an email so that uh, we can improve a better uh, conversion to their stores because it's a it's a, 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 a leading pizza chain so what they are actually looking at is if we can get these customers to our stores then it actually helps them improve uh, uh, actual sales right and it resulted in 8% sales uplift and around a 10 to 12% uh, improvement in uh, uh, in these uh, visits to these uh, stores right so uh, in this particular scenario although we uh, we were just uh, trying out personalization at a segment level but not at a hyper personalized level now this is uh, i think uh, enough uh, we talked about on a personalization side so let's move on to cltv front so on the civil cltv front or customer lifetime value what we are looking at is we built a, a system for a global uh, fortune 500 company to improve uh, their solution it was an existing solution and in, in a lot of cases our customers ask uh, us to uh, sort of review their solution which are already present and give them a, a good boost uh, from the current level so uh, the first thing that we uh, actually help them identify is a good definition of customer lifetime value right how do you define it uh, what is and uh, specifically uh, when you are going to define a churn right what is churn for you right and what is a different level of churn that you should be concerned about in a system rather than having a fixed threshold and those kind of approaches uh, to sort of define your churn uh, uh, signal 
Uh, the second important aspect is uh, understanding the current and future potential of a consumer's value. So a consumer might be spending some amount with you at this point in time, but that doesn't uh, actually give you complete understanding of what is their current potential and what will be their future potential. So understanding that uh, actually gives you a better uh, hold on their uh, lifetime value and so that you can also identify uh, what are the different kind of investments you can uh, make and which uh, uh, consumers are high potential consumers to build uh, more stronger and better relationships so that you can improve their uh, lifetime value. So in this particular scenario, our solution delivered 33% improvement in their marketing investment return uh, at, uh, at uh, the entire segment that we were testing. So I think these are a few of the examples where uh, what we have seen is in these two particular areas, uh, it was quite useful for our um, customers. Taj, we've talked a lot of subjects here today, a lot. And you've also said a lot of those actually going in to how you're getting value from your partnership, right? But I want to go back to how you this partnership started back in the past, which is you could have chosen to go with many analytics providers. There are a dime a dozen these days in the CPG industry and retail. What did you find different and compelling in Sigmoid's approach? And why why did you pick them versus others? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, Sigmoid has been a preferred partner for, for a number of initiatives, right? Which is data analytics or machine learning initiatives. And there are about three clear ways I think they've added value for us. First, I think they bring a lot of unique blend of data science, big data engineering, business consulting, to build self-learning decision pipelines on cloud. So essentially taking all the data that we have, trying to understand the semantics of it and delivering business output. And you heard Rahul talk about several examples, right? And they have an innovative approach to, to, to this problem solving and helps deliver tangible business results. And, and the reason they're able to do that is because their teams are pretty much invested in, in our business problems. So they understand what, what we're trying to solve on a day-to-day -day level basis, and they help actually deliver the output. And we found that to be very uh, appealing for us. And the second really is the, the flexibility that they bring. So the custom, the, the, you know, Raul talks about so many examples. While they have a foundation, they know where they want to go. Most of the solutions are customized. You can you know, you say, hey, look, here's a problem. Here's what I want to customize it. And the end of the day, you know, one thing that we really like about this partnership is transparency into your machine learning models. And that's a difficult thing to crack, right? Because some of the companies that we work with, hey, this is a black box. This is what this is how the model, how you get it. I want to understand the algorithm, how you actually get to the result, right? And so that's essentially a significant uh, uh, differentiator that we found in Sigmoid. And of course, the speed to market and the cost efficiency they're able to bring to maximize the ROI is, is also that we found very, very enterprising as well. So, I mean, I would definitely recommend giving them a shout if there's a real business problem that needs to solution. The flexibility and the you know the commitment they bring to the table uh, is is highly recommended. That is so good to hear, Taj, that you've actually quantified three different things over here. Raul, the last question of the episode, we always try to look future forward. I want you to tell the audience, just like Taj did. You know, Taj talked about why he picked you and Sigmoid. Raul, you tell the audience why you feel you're better than many technology engineering analytics providers we talk to. What is your core value proposition that differentiates you and why should a brand work with you versus somebody else? Uh, so absolutely. Uh, so we have uh, proven experience in delivering high uh, business value for our uh, clients. And uh, when you work with us, it's very important uh, for us that you get a feeling that you're working with a team who is driven to achieve business goals. 
and i think that is what i also mentioned in my initial uh, introduction that uh, that is something we are very very focused on and there are four key factors that uh, we focus on to achieve this particular aspect the first most important factor is uh, defining the success for a particular engagement in as objective as possible because what we have learned uh, through uh, very hard cycles uh, working with cons- uh, customers is um, the de- the expectation of a customer and the expectation the way we understand it should be as object- objective as possible and uh, if it is measurable that is the best case scenario so that we can assign a specific benchmark to where we are at the current state uh, in the cycle of uh, building any initiative and where do we want to go how do we measure it and then um, as we go along iteratively we can uh, uh, look at where we are and sort of improve upon uh, those uh, specific metrics uh from a machine learning perspective uh, another thing that we learned is it is extremely important uh, that when we are uh, defining analytical measurement kpis for these models they should uh, directly replicate the business goal that we are trying to achieve rather than using uh, uh, kpis or sort of metrics which are very standard in a sense but then depending on the business goal uh you might be optimizing on a particular error metric or a kind of a metric which is not exactly aligned with the business kpi so the model is actually trying to optimize for a completely wrong goal and that uh, uh make a lot of ch- uh, challenge in achieving business goal right so these are some of the important aspects from uh, defining the problem and defining the success in an objective manner the second important aspect is having a, f- a very fast innovation cycle so we have seen model and approaches that has built uh, by a lot of companies that are very very slow in terms of uh, either your data infrastructure that you have built which is very slow and it is not getting uh, high quality data at a speed or the machine ml ops uh, aspect which is uh, building these machine learning models to scale and also uh, how how much time they are taking for training and every iteration and we have seen uh, companies who have built systems which are taking days uh, to uh, get to this kind of performance and that takes a, a very bad uh, state in terms of when you are trying to sort of uh, ide- uh, ideate and sort of experiment a lot and which is important if we are trying to add value so so we build infrastructure where we can actually achieve very fast uh, innovation cycles so bring uh, these systems from 10 days or 15 days to uh, within one hour or a few minutes right that is very important and it's a foundational aspect the third important aspect is high impact business solutions so focusing on uh, the value that we are creating and is it actually achieving some value for the business and we need to be consistent and reliable in delivery which is a very important aspect because a lot of companies focus on or our competitors uh, they focus on activities rather than goals right and for a customer results are more important than uh, what activities because they don't even understand what uh, jargons we are uh, selling them in that sense so we focus a lot on how we can make our process much more reliable uh, using all the technologies that we are building and how do we achieve high performance through our models last most important aspect is talent we definitely need access to uh, great talent and we uh, get the top talent from india and abroad and uh, we have a very uh, efficient training process and we uh, we are the largest data platform in the world that we run 
and we process more than 300 terabyte data. So we have a very strong engineering capabilities that helps us also on a data science side. So I think all of these factors combined uh, give us an edge uh, compared to our competitors. Holy moly, that's a lot, Raul. So, but I'm going to try and summarize what I took away from this episode. Number one, right up front, we talked about Sigmoid taking ownership of clients' results. We kind of got into the world of AI, ML, kind of decomposed how AI is meaningful on a day basis on the job. Talked about your the strength of your engineering being the accelerated cloud capability and AI adoption and ML adoption which is now mainstream for you, which results in hyper-personalization. And you can even touch in today's world, one of the most important capabilities, which we didn't get to today, but maybe in another episode is RGM, because RGM literally determines how inflation is paced these days. Then Taj got into optimizing his marketing spend for record for e-commerce this way. We talked about how multi-touch attribution makes a massive difference, but the most important word he put out there was still the work he's doing is resulting in go-forward organic outcomes. Very few ever say, say that on the show. And then I noted that speed to action, speed to market, you know, being able to do this stuff one, two weeks right after a campaign is just epic. Then we went into um, Dodge went where nobody goes before, which is ML and creative for another episode. We'll come back to that as well. And then we wrapped it up with what are three meaningful things here? that make a difference. And we got into the strength of Sigmoid is three unique things. Number one, data science and engineering, which we've already kind of declared. Innovative approach to problem solving and new capabilities coming on board. And then a word that I took away, Raul kind of said, goals versus activities. We focus on our clients' goals versus their activities. How I heard that is, you are invested in your clients' challenges and problems. That's a wrap of the show, folks. Let me remind our audience that you can find us simply by going to a browser and typing cpgguys.com. You can find all our content there. And if you think you have some thought leadership to contribute to our community discussion, drop us an email at contact at cpgguys.com and maybe you can join us on the podcast. Don't forget to drop us a rating at ratethispodcast.com slash cpgguys. Why do I say that? The rating tells us how we're doing. The review, when you do that, tells us what you like about the show, what you don't like, who should come on, what topics we can, we should be talking about. One such topic was data, insights, analytics, marketing spend, as well as ROI. And that's exactly what we did on this episode. Folks, thank you so much for the love you show us. 12K plus followers on LinkedIn. Very few have claimed to such a large audience. We know you love us. We love you back. Taj and Raul, thank you for appearing on the podcast today and being willing to go into spaces, just fun spaces and analytics. Thank you to the both of you. Thanks for having us. Thanks, you. Thanks for having us. Pleasure, gentlemen. That's a wrap for this episode. We will see you back soon on another episode of the CPG Guys. The content in this podcast episode is provided for general informational purposes only. By listening to our episode, you understand that no information contained in this episode should be construed as advice from CPG Guys LLC or the individual author, hosts, or guests, nor is it intended to be a substitute for research on any subject matter. 
Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by CPG Guys LLC. The views expressed by guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. The views expressed by CPG Guys LLC do not represent the views of their employers or the entity they represent. CPG Guys LLC expressly disclaims any and all liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect, incidental, special, consequential, or other damages arising out of any individual's use of, reference to, or inability to use this podcast or the information we present in this podcast.